Hello everyone. So Alex Karp's letter to shareholders has just come out. I want to read over it. I've had a brief skim um, and I've digested some of the information. I've highlighted some really important points. This is a pretty phenomenal letter. Um, some really exciting things he's, he's, he's mentioned in here. Let's give it a read. So we're at the early stage of a significant transformation and our company is emerging as the dominant provider of foundational data platforms, generating approximately half a billion dollars in revenue every quarter. Our company is emerging as the dominant data um, foundational platform. That is a big statement. We've crossed the billion dollar mark in the US alone, uh, more than doubling our business in two years. Fairly staggering. In the 12 months that we ended September 30th, 2019, we generated $253 million in revenue in the US. Three years later, we generated $1.1 billion in revenue, representing a 64% compound annual growth rate. That is very interesting. In the US alone, this is revenue in the US. Three years later, generating $1.1 billion of revenue, representing a 64% compound annual growth rate. And the reason why I'm so interested in the US market is because I've reiterated this many times, as we'll hear momentarily. The US is uh, a leader when it comes to technological adoption and agility for software. In comparison to Germany, in comparison to certain European nations, the US is a good leading indication as to where other nations will be in a few years' time. I don't think it's a secret that the US adopts technology quicker than any other nation. We now, anticipating, um, we, we now anticipate that individual regional markets within the US, including, for example, the Midwest, the Southeast, New England, and Texas, all have the potential to develop into billion-dollar businesses on their own over the near term. That is a big comment to make. So that, that kind of puts perspective over the, uh, the, the, the true scale of Palantir. If you're saying that individual region, regional markets within the US, for example, uh, Texas, for example, the Southeast, for example, New England, etc., if these regional markets in themselves, uh, in the near term, could become multi-billion dollar markets, that warrants... Um, a true reimagination of this business and the valuation, I believe. Now, whether that's going to come into fruition, that's another question. Uh, but just the, the statement and the boldness from the CEO is something that I think is, is, is a good data point to take into consideration. I've said this many times. Often, when you're investing in companies like Palantir, you have seemingly disconnected data points that come together um, all at once. And you kind of can grapple with, with the valuation and a projected um, expectation of where this company is going to be in, in, in five years' time. So that is a very big statement from the CEO. Individual regional markets within the US, including, for example, the Midwest, Southeast, New England, Texas, all of the potential develop, develop into, into billion-dollar businesses on their own. Billion-dollar businesses on, in their own uh, over the near term. We're also seeing individual markets abroad, which once uh, a celebrity part of our operations, develop into significant businesses of their own right. Fascinating. I think uh, the main emphasis here is on the UK, as we'll hear momentarily. Um, Germany, Carp was critical of within the letter uh, at the very end. Yeah, that will highlight um, because of their inability to adopt technological solutions and their kind of friction associated with agility for adoption of technology. But it's interesting that individual markets abroad uh, are now developing developing into significant businesses in their own right. Once again, feeding into the narrative that I've been speaking about for many years now, the fact that the US is often a leading indication of where Palantir is going to be in five years' time globally. I think it's important to understand. In the United Kingdom, for example, we generated 160 million in revenue in the 12-month period that ended September 30th, 2021, the following year we generated 213 million, representing a year-over-year -year growth rate of 33%. So fairly positive growth within the US, considering um, 
you know, all considering 33% growth rate. We believe that our revenue in the United Kingdom has the potential to grow significantly over the coming years. Other countries will follow. I do think as well the NHS deal with Palantir is highly likely to go through. You're seeing now uh, on the NHS website, etc., a lot of Palantir-related documentation, jobs, listing, etc. And I don't think there's anyone else that can do the, the, the job in which Palantir uh, can do. But I could ramble on about that for many, many years now. <laughs> many of the largest companies in the world are looking to their American peers for guidance implicit otherwise regarding which software system should stand at the center of their organizations. This is what I've said for many, many years. Facebook, for example, when they first started their inception phases, what did they do? They went to Harvard, they monopolized Harvard, and they went to high stakes, high status universities uh, and monopolized these universities. It's, it's a really, really wise strategy. If Facebook randomly released their products on a random Thursday evening to the world, probably no one have, would have used it. In comparison, uh, Facebook actually centered their product towards a specific niche, therefore gaining initial users and targeting their product towards an initial group. This allowed the early generation of network effects and the incentivization of early users to come onto the platform and to keep staying on the platform. The same, I think, is true with Palantir. Uh, they're going for these uh, the top dogs first, the large-scale, most important institutions firstly, um, and then eventually... In a few years' time, uh, this will replicate into uh, smaller organizations looking up to these big organizations and adopting the same software solution. Interesting that the, the kind of the, the, look, the, the wording, um, which software systems uh, should stand at the center of their organization. So many of the largest companies are looking to their American peers for guidance, implicit or otherwise, regarding which software systems should stand at the center of the organizations. This Tyson Foods. Uh, recent case study we had the case study we uploaded to dantons.com uh, in which was focused on the highlights from FoundryCon. Uh, there's not many events in which companies, uh, high-level executives, speak so fondly of a technological solution. Um, and just the fact that Palantir doesn't only create a competitive edge, it doesn't even it doesn't even boost your productivity, it does more than that. It creates true alpha. Palantir is not like Zoom, it doesn't increase your productivity, it creates more. It does productivity and it creates alpha, and that's kind of the differentiating factor. So once again, I'm reiterating the same things that I've said for many, many years now. This company has the best technology um, there is. It's it's undisputable if you are any what of a tech person, uh, you can understand that this company is de developing supernatural product capabilities. And it just seems clear to me that in a few years' time, um, smaller organizations are going to look towards these larger organizations in which are gaining huge competitive advantages from alpha generated by Palantir. And therefore, these smaller organizations are going to adopt Palantir's solution very, very easily. It's been an experience, however, that some companies, uh, countries, sorry, particularly in continental Europe, including Germany, have fallen behind the US in their willingness and ability to implement enterprise software systems that challenge existing habits and modes of operations. Once again, the, the friction associated with new technological adoption is, is, is kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's very common. And I think when you have, once you have a disruptive technology, um, a technology that changes the fabric of society, uh, friction is going to be associated with adoption. That's just the way it is. There have been repeated attempts to build replicas of Silicon Valley in continental Europe and Germany and elsewhere, but they've resulted in, in, in mixed results, basically. We found that large institutions in the United States have been far more willing to investigate the most significant sources of systematic dysfunction within their organizations, which at the current moment often relates to the ability or rather inability of institutions to metabolize uh, their own data. Interesting. Large institutions in the US have been far more willing to investigate the most significant sources of dysfunction within their organizations. 
So Carp is saying that data is the biggest issue within organizations and the US is, is, is characterized by a range of companies that are willing to solve those issues via uh, the introduction of new technologies and new softwares. We've at this point essentially captured the market for commercial enterprise and industrial leaders that will first begin leveraging their software to reshape their businesses. Once again, a very, very important statement here. We've at this point essentially captured the market of commercial enterprises and industrial leaders that will first begin leveraging software to reshape their business. So all the companies uh, that were looking firstly towards alpha software solutions have now adopted Palantir. Reiterating the thing that I just mentioned about Harvard, Facebook, the fact that Palantir is going after the top dogs first, the individuals that are high status, the best organizations first, high quality revenue organizations, and then eventually this will rapidly ease the friction associated with mass adoption. And the remainders are now the following. The shift has been made possible by a more sophisticated and coherent commercial offering, which can now be deployed to customers within minutes. That's, that's really amazing. You, you don't get this anywhere else, um, the adoption of technology within minutes. It also mentioned here, interestingly, uh, in the past, the time and effort required to build relationships and deliver our software to customers weighed on our ability to expand at a pace commensurate with demand in the market we were iterating and experimenting with building a software platform and our customers were iterating and experimenting with us. It was perhaps a necessary integrum. Our approach, however, to the acquisition and onboarding of customers has changed significantly, a shift made possible by far more systematic and mechanized, mechanized sales operation. That's the word. That's fascinating there. What have I been saying? What have we been saying for such a long time now? Um, Palantir was experimenting with customers, they were testing their software solutions out, they were battle testing their software solutions out, but we can clearly see a major, major shift now in the ways in which customers are onboarded, in which marketing occurs. This is a huge shift for the company. Uh, they, they previously had, you know, 41 sales individuals, 1% of the customer company headcount, sorry, 1% of the company's headcount was associated with sales marketing. Snowflake's case, it's 50% of the company's headcount. 1% of the company's headcount is associated with sales marketing. Uh, for Palantir, this is shifting. They're emphasizing more the, the necessity for sales and marketing. Um, so big, big change in the strategy of a company. A pure software business has now merged. Our software is at war in Europe and around the world. And software is the means by which nations impose and defend their values. Once again, a very important statement here because, um, as I've kind of reiterated in the past, used to have a kind of nuclear weaponry uh, and wealth of a nation as kind of the two leading factors in which uh, would kind of make you win a war. Now that dynamic is changing. You have the exponentiality of software solutions in which can be introduced in conjunction with nuclear, in conjunction with GDP growth, uh, all together, therefore contributing to one's ability to win a war. So what I'm saying now is, is, is kind of software, exponentiality in software, true software is the equivalent to kind of nuclear weaponry in the current day. And we can see that most clearly within uh, Ukraine. Our third quarter from, from a um, contracting perspective points to the growing strength of our defense business in the US. Uh, can we open this in a bit detail? Okay, can't. But um, our third quarter from a contracting perspective points to the growing strengths of our defense business in the US. As you can see, total um, contract value by quarter is increasing fairly substantially. We can dive into those figures later. We executed contracts in the third quarter of this year worth a total of $1.3 billion over time, with $987 million of the $1.3 billion come from contracts entered into with the US government alone. That is crazy. Just showing the huge potential. I, I don't even think the commercial is getting started yet. 
Um, if you're having $1.3 billion in total contract value and $1 billion of that is coming from the USG alone, only $300 million is coming from, um, from the commercial space, which is quite interesting. So that just shows the kind of the shifts between and the contrast between the commercial and the governmental space. Um, I think this is very positive, actually. Uh, it just shows the commercial hasn't even started yet, and it also shows how much uh, potential is available within the government. The significant increase in contract value this quarter was principally driven by the expansion of work with the US military support deployment of AI and machine learning capabilities um, to soldiers on the front line. We reported on Dantons.com that there is a $9 billion contract. It's a multi-cloud vendor solution. We're unsure whether Palantir is included within it, but what we do know is that the contract sizes within the USG are fairly huge. These are not two $2 million contracts. These are multi-billion dollar contracts uh, for multi-years. We furthermore do not uh, view the increase in contract value this quarter as an aberration. So we don't view the contract increase this quarter as kind of an anomaly, uh, but rather as a sign of more fundamental shifts for the business from insurgent outsider to incumbent, particularly in the US market. Very, very positive things. What I'm hearing is positive things. There is a reason why the market is not overrun by competing enterprise software systems for integrating and then transforming data into something of operational value. This is extraordinarily hard to build. I reiterated this many times in the past. If you watch my video on my investment philosophy, I also wrote about this on datas.com, then uh, it's very clear that I center my investments on monopolistic practices, on 10x improvements in technology. I don't want trivial improvements when it comes to a technological difference. I want 10x differences in improvements between A and B. I'm going to invest in companies that have almost undisputable competitive moats and improvements over anyone else. And I think this is clear within the case within the case of Palantir. The lack of widespread development of a competing offering is principally a reflection of the distinct distinct hurdles uh, that must be overcome for a mere data integration platform to mature into a foundational system that can model the world. It's a world of a difference. Snowflake Palantir, they're incomparable. Uh, Palantir is far more than Snowflake. And I think um, Carp is highlighting there the huge, huge, huge competitive modes in which Palantir has an, over any organization. There's no one even close. One of those hurdles, and perhaps the one that we have been most focused on the past decade, involves the development of a system. But for, for enabling users themselves to construct an architecture of the world within which they operate, and then to create objects onto which they attach the data. This is also known as the ontology. The extent to which data gives life to those objects is what enables institutions to um, interrogate the information that they have and drive decisions. Once again, referring to the ontological capability of Palantir, the fact that you can bring people, things, places, objects to life and uh, use them in a very dynamic and um, non-static way. We found that the additional commercial offerings, and also that highlights, by the way, the importance of a digital twin. That is a digital twin. You're giving life to the organization. You're giving life to previously static data points, and therefore you can predict, pre prevent and simulate different things occurring. We found that the additional commercial offerings that have emerged in recent years in the market have served to educate customers about the tensions and trade-offs inherent in constructing an enterprise software system. But there was once a firm belief that the adoption of tools and isolations was sufficient for progress in the long run. This has now changed. So isolation of certain tools, you could previously use, you know, a little tool here, uh, a data lake house, data warehouse, whatever, to solve your issues uh, in certain individualistic cases. Now that it's not sufficient, organizations are realizing that you need a holistic solution um, to grow. There is now a broad understanding that enterprises will only begin to be able to exploit the value of their own data 
when they're offering and applications are running on top of a broader and integrated data platform. Once again, highlighting the interoperability of Palantir, the fact that Palantir is the Windows operating system of data. It is the OS. It is not an individual silly platform like Snowflake or, um, you know, one of these, I don't know, ServiceNow, whatever. I don't know any, any other companies, but um, it is not individualistic. It is holistic. It is an operating system for data. The number of new customers that are purchasing our software has more than doubled in the past year. The speed which our platforms are being adopted by new customers and the ease with which such platforms are being deployed is a reflection not only of the further maturation of the software itself, but of the essential nature of software to modern life. Software is a necessity and Palantir has been working on this for 18 plus years and now is their time to shine, is what he's saying. We're building the digital infrastructure that makes continued industrial progress in late capitalism. That is a big, big statement. We are building the digital infrastructure that makes continued industrial progress and late capitalism possible. That is fascinating. The way we're thinking now about kind of capitalism more holistically uh, and the fact that software is enabling society to enter into a new period of innovation, namely uh, industry 3.0, whatever you want to call it, these buzzwords. But software, he's saying, is fundamental now for the industrial progress in capitalism. The sustained in, um, increase in interest and orders for our software products, particularly in the US, comes not in spite, but because of our current moment, um, moment of austerity and tightening credit situations. I, I've reiterated this, by the way, uh, very, very, very recently uh, in the past few months, highlighting the fact that Morgan Stanley released a report in which they stated that um, deflationary technological forces are going to be fundamental now uh, for companies because we have increased uh, costs, we have... Um, increased cost of labor, increased cost of, cost of capital, as well as a kind of a disruption across the board. So instead of organizations now looking towards hiring certain individuals or raising more capital, they are looking towards deflationary technological solutions as a way to reduce their costs. The metaverse and other idiosyncratic pursuits of technological elite may be a luxury good, but foundational data platforms are not a bit of a dig at meta. In the past, the managerial class that effectively runs most large commercial enterprises may be rewarded for preparing elaborate data transmission plans without delivering any results. This era is coming to a close. You can no longer get away with that. A uh, big kind of change that we're seeing because, you know, uh, Doug Philippone spoke about this recently. He stated that uh, Palantir and the government specifically, specifically they're, competing with, um, they're competing with CIOs, PowerPoints, uh, projects in which they hope to build in five years' time. In reality, those projects never actually come to fruition. It's all of Ponzi. The mere declaration that one is adopting a, f a functional enterprise software platform that conforms to certain ethical and legal requirements was never equivalent to adopting a functional enterprise software platform that conforms to a certain ethical and legal requirements, whatever. Uh, it goes on for some philosophy, not bothered about which Stein, sorry, Carp. Uh, there exists a need to place software at the center of, modern, of the modern enterprise and institutions that survive and emerge even stronger on the other side of this period of transition will be those that reject the theater uh, of um, of engagement with affecting that outcome. A bit of play on words, as I call it, but interesting. A new dynamic is emerging. Chaos is the catalyst for this emergent catalyst for, for this emergent change. We have the privilege of planning and building a company for the long term. Current shift in macroeconomic conditions has served to winnow the field of participants in the technology sector, and will continue to do so. Our ability to plan for the future is made possible because of 2.4 billion in the bank and no debt. Amazing. We also have now generated 461 million in cash flow from operations over the past two years. Our preparation for the crucial moment is anything but incidental. We anticipate the present volatility 
and will continue to grow, not in spite, but because of it. The strength of our engineers, those building software products, often stems from the uh, disinter disinteresting, grand, unifying theories when it comes to the construction of software and how it should be built, highlighting the kind of idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic nature of, of the talented palantir. The rapid cycles of iteration that arise from this way of working are only possible if one remains relatively upholden to, to ideological ways of thinking. As, as, as a result, talking about talent here, talent here doesn't care about where they recruit their talent from, whether you're left or right. Our belief is that most Americans are concerned with results. The theatre and posturing of the political class and the enforced duality of our current discourse is a distraction for most. Interesting there, a unifying force Palantir is. We are building software that makes the discussions possible and the instruments are, we are creating are sharp. Fascinating. I think this is an amazing letter. Uh, some really, really big highlights there. Let me know your thoughts and I'll update you uh, very shortly on some figures.